Life Management Science Labs would like to acknowledge that we live and produce this podcast on the traditional lands of the Wurundjeri people. We'd also like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the lands of our listeners and our international colleagues. We'd like to pay our respects to their elders, past, present, and emerging. Hello and welcome to Reloscope, the Relationship Science Insights podcast produced by LMSL, the Life Management Science Labs. We are champions in life management science, providing structured insights informed by science and inspired by practice on key aspects of conscious living. Each week we bring you scientific and practical insights on each element with the expert knowledge of professionals in the field. I'm your host, Aditi Kuti. Let's get on with the show. Alison, welcome to the show. It's really exciting to have you. Oh, thank you so much. I'm happy to be here. Um, you're a licensed mental health counselor, certified PAC therapist based in New York. Can you tell me a little bit more about what you do? Absolutely. Um, I've been a therapist for a long time, but about 12 years ago, I was introduced to my mentor, Dr. Stan Tacken, who um, had a cer- certain approach, the psychobiological approach to counseling, couple therapy, I should say. And um, I began to specialize in couples soon after that. So for the last 13 years, um, I work with couples every day and um, it's become, you know, quite a passion of mine. Yeah, absolutely. I think you worked with couples a lot. So you, you're definitely quite an expert um, in the area <laughs> for sure. Uh, we are going to be talking about relationship readiness uh, today. Uh, but before we talk about any of our topic, uh, we have a segment called Have You Met Alison How? Uh, in which I ask you a couple of really quick questions uh, and all you Uh have to do is give us the first answer that comes to your head. Are you ready to go? I am. Fantastic. What is your favorite book? So my favorite book is the one that I find myself recommending to so many people in my practice and it's called The Gift of Fear by Gavin DeBecker. And it's about learning about trusting your personal instincts. Okay. Yeah. I feel like not enough people do that anymore. There's a lot of overthinking going on. Um, I'm guilty of it myself. (laughs) So me too. For sure. sure. Um, what about a favorite movie or the movie you last watched if you don't have a favorite? (laughs) Well, I thought about this and my favorite movie is a bit dated, but it was from the early way 1980s and it's called Kramer versus Kramer. And it's now that I think about it, it really was showing my interest in working with couples because it's a beautiful story with um, Dustin Hoffman and Meryl Streep as the leading actor and actress portraying a couple going through a very difficult divorce. So it's a wonderful movie. Um, It's my favorite. Yeah, Kramer vs. Kramer is a classic. I feel like the 80s isn't too old. I feel like, you you know, you can can still watch them. It's still relevant. (laughs) For sure, for sure. Movies are forever. Um, what about uh, a podcast that you're currently listening to? I am obsessed with The Lazy Genius, which is um, Kendra Adachi. She wrote the, the book, The Lazy Genius, and she has 13 principles for leading your life. And she is just, she's full of energy. She's kind of like everyone's big sister. And um, I don't miss an episode. I love it. Yeah, that's awesome. I might have to check that one out uh, myself. What about um, a role model, a famous role model that you've looked up to? So many, but I the one that came to mind was Jane Goodall, the English primatologist. Um, I mean, she just to me represents a woman who has lived her values, I mean, over her lifetime. And she's, you know, her work is just amazing and she's someone I admire. Jane Goodall is a really, really good one. I feel like I haven't heard her name in a while, but she's changed. I mean, she's changed the field so much. We know, as as someone who loves animal facts, yeah, a bit of a bit bit geeking out over her. Um, What about the last course that you completed? Oh, yeah. Well, that's relevant because I just completed my certification course at the PACT Institute. So um, this was a year-long journey where I am one of the inaugural uh, clinicians, their first inaugural class of, of um, certified PAC therapists. So that just ended December 31st. That's amazing. Congratulations. Thank you. 
Uh, we're going to be hearing a lot about that approach, I'm assuming, um, in our episode today, uh, mm-hmm. which brings me to our interview. We, we've gotten to know you, and now let's talk about um, our topic for today, um, relationship readiness. Uh, yeah. Starting at the very top, what is a relationship to you? How, do you, how would you describe a relationship? When I think about a relationship, I think about a secure functioning relationship, which is a relationship between two people who enter it willingly. And it's based on mutuality, fairness and sensitivity for both partners, high level of collaboration and cooperation, and really um, a willingness to accept each other as you are, not an enhanced version of of who you're gonna be, but um, a real a real desire to grow up together. So mm-hmm. that's, and the last thing I would say would be, it's truly being on a team. This is, relationships are a team sport. Yeah, yeah. I think that's a great way of putting it, especially when you talked about like an enhanced version of who you are. I think too often we view relationships as like being half of one complete person when that's not really the case. I don't feel. Mm. I don't agree. I agree with you that it's not the case. I see that so often in my practice where people will come into couple therapy with, it may not be an idea they have, you know, that's in their conscious awareness, but they really hope that they can have these enhancements in their partner, that their partner will be different, perhaps better. And that usually doesn't go well. Yeah, for sure. And I, I think like, you working as a team, but you're kind of two individuals who are working together as a team. Like you said, a team sport, <laughs> you know, you're not, you're, you're not exactly one, uh, unit. You really have to work hard to make sure that you're on the same page. It really is hard work, but it can pay off in, in great ways. Yeah, absolutely. In your opinion, do relationships still hold the same kind of meaning and and structure as they did decades ago? And are they as important? It's such a great question. You know, I think it truly depends on the culture and society in question. So when I think about um, primarily heterosexual couples in the United States where I'm from, marriage has changed dramatically over the past century. Um, You know, we think about women entering the workforce after World War II, um, becoming more educated, and then the advent of um, oral contraception. All of these things really changed the structure of and the meaning, the importance, I believe, of marriage, where now with Gen Z, it's lots of the young people that I speak to say they don't really know if they would consider marriage. I, I will say that for my LGBT couples, relationships hold a different meaning, structure, and importance today because they really were not acknowledged previously. So they, they have such an important meeting, meaning, and um, I just wanted to really make that differentiation. Yeah, I think that's an important thing to note, that legal status makes, makes a world of difference um, for uh, queer couples in particular. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, relationship readiness, how do you define it? What, what is it? So it's so funny. Uh, I had to take a moment and look it up. What, what is readiness? You know, readiness is defined as, um, the state of being fully prepared for something or also your willingness. Uh, you know, it's really both. So, then when I put it in the context of relationship readiness, it's the idea of being both willing and fully prepared for a relationship. So um, that's the definition of it. However, I must add, I don't believe we can ever fully be, be prepared for a relationship. And I don't think that has to be a problem. I do believe that our willingness to be open to relationship is very important to consider if you are um, considering being one, being in a relationship. And I would like to just speak about um, a misunderstanding that I believe our culture tends to um, hold, which is that you cannot love another person or you can't be in a relationship until you really know yourself. 
this is a very common theme that I will hear the idea that um, I have to be, I have to really know myself very well. And while in theory that sounds good, it goes against everything we know about infant development and the whole developmental trajectory in life. Because we come into the world um, as newborns in the eyes of our earliest caregiver. So all of our development is with another person. So I believe that we get ready for relationship by talking about who we are. That's great. Gaining self-knowledge, but just do it with another person, an individual therapist, a trusted friend, a clergy person. Um, but it must be done in relationship itself. It can't be done alone or off in a cave or in your room. Those things just won't really give you the full picture. Yeah, I love that. I love that you expanded that to not just include a romantic partner, but also people like therapists and friends um, as well, because I think sometimes we think of getting to know ourselves as something we have to do on our own, but I don't think anyone actually does that. I, I think everyone has help in some way. Yeah, we're wired to be in interaction with other people. That is, I, I learn who I am by having a conversation with you. And if we talk about different things, your, the back and forth between the two of us is going to help both of us clarify our thinking. So it's such yeah. a key thing to be doing it with another person. Yeah, that's a, that's such a great way of looking at it. I've never actually thought about it that way, but that that does make a lot of sense when you put it that way. That's great. How how does kind of relationship readiness, as you define it, how does it affect relationships? What what does it yeah. end up looking like? So I believe if you're both unprepared for this journey and unwilling, that is going to definitely affect the relationship because it's just not going to launch, right? But being unprepared in and of itself does not have to be a problem. If you do have another partner who, by the way, they're also not going to be fully prepared, but if they have a willingness, you're going to go through the journey together and there's a tremendous amount of trial and error. So, um, I, you know, I really believe that all the preparation in the world will not prepare us for what happens when our nervous systems come in contact with the nervous system of our, the other person we're in relationship with because that happens in real time and that's impacted by so many things, um, including memory, including um, previous experiences with uh, other people in our life, including how we feel in the moment, whether we're tired, whether we're a bit, a bit depressed or whether we're excited. I mean, there's so many components and we cannot take into account all of those things you know, they're just, they just, they can surprise us. So ultimately every partnership, when two people are in a relationship, you're working on the moment to moment interaction where there are both high levels of connection, but actually misattunements and errors that are happening throughout. Many of the errors and misattunements we don't even notice because we're kind of just in a flow together. And if we're relaxed and it's going well, we don't even pick up on them. But when there are misattunements or errors that don't get corrected in enough time where people can get back to the conversation and feel relaxed, we get into problems. And it's when couples create these experiences of sustained misattunement that isn't getting repaired, that isn't getting corrected, and, and partners aren't getting relieved, then couples find themselves in very difficult patterns. That, that causes a lot of harm. Yeah, absolutely. I, I feel like a couple of questions that came up while with that answer there for me, one of them was, you know, you talk about, I guess, a lack of preparedness and how it's almost not possible to be fully prepared. When, when are we too unprepared? You know, I'm thinking off the top of my head, mental health issues that you might want to tackle first before you dump them on someone else. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's really a good point. Um, because, you know, if you are going through a significant mental health issue, 
And that, that may not be the most ideal time to be entering a relationship because you may not be feeling fully yourself. However, I certainly hope you're in relationship and getting support with lots of other people um, at that time. Um, the thing is, however, that there is no right time. You know, um, even someone who's struggling with a mental health issue, if they are uh, at least being able to move forward a bit in their life, I would be encouraging them to be open to to being in a relationship if they wanted that. Because if you're forming a secure relationship, whether you have a mental health history or whether you have any other kind of challenge, it doesn't mean that you still can't work something out with another person where you can enjoy life. You still have to follow the rules of fairness and sensitivity, whether you struggle with a chronic illness or a mental health issue. But your point is well taken. I do think there are absolutely some times when you want to be very, very careful. I think if you're coming right out of a, a relationship, you know, we've heard of a rebound relationship, uh, just be aware that you may really be working on so much memory and experience with the other person that could be getting confusing for you with a new relationship. So that I think you have to just really be aware of what could happen there. And um, I think if you are truly struggling um, with your own self-regulation, now that meaning that you cannot really manage your, you're struggling with your own nervous system in terms of being able to put the brakes on when you need to, your own ability to take a pause when something is happening that, that is really stimulating for you your own ability to um, not overreact in the moment. Everyone has challenges with self-regulation, but and there are some people who are extremely challenged. I would say for those individuals, maybe working on their own self-regulation capacity would help them in a relationship. But I want to be very careful with saying that um, people should, you know, I, this particular question, I just want to make sure I'm clear that there aren't too many categories where I think people shouldn't be willing to get in there and try it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. Don't hold yourself back. I guess if that's yeah. something that you're looking for. Um, yeah. To, to summarize, I, I guess another, another question that came up is, you know, when you mentioned, you know, if people are both unwilling and unprepared, they can probably come across <laughs> problems. Why yeah. do people enter relationships when they're unwilling why does that happen and how does it happen? Is it like a lack of awareness? Is that something you've you come know, across? It's, it's, well, certainly I, I have come across um, in couple therapy where one partner will really be unwilling to be in couple therapy, unwilling to be in the relationship. And that may be why the other partner is bringing them into couple therapy with a the hope that the therapy will change that. Um, what the, the, the work there to be done is to really find out if that unwillingness is, is a real thing, because that is a major structural problem. If one person doesn't want to do this, you can't do it. You need two people with willingness. So your question is, why might someone be unwilling? I think that's what I heard. There yeah. can be so many reasons. Um, they maybe didn't have, they may have memories of being with parents who didn't really do very well together in a relationship. So maybe that's out of their conscious awareness. Um, maybe they have issues around confidence of how they're going to be in a relationship. Maybe they're a bit afraid, but yeah. 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 I'm sure attachment styles would probably tie into that. I'm assuming like if they just didn't grow up seeing healthy relationships. Well, attachment styles um, do come into play and attachment styles can absolutely come, uh, insecure attachment can um, take place when partners have been in families where they did not have that secure model. Absolutely. But you can meet with, with people with all different sorts of, their different attachment styles and it still doesn't mean that they're unwilling. You know, it can just mean that there are going to, there's going to be more to pay attention to that they're going to have to consider in learning how to get along well. Mm, mm. Yeah. I think that's, that's a great way of uh, looking at it is that there's just so much diversity in how people approach these things. So for much. Sure. For sure. Yeah. 
where where does relationship readiness begin <laughs> where how, does, how does one become ready <laughs> how does one do that is that even possible uh, yeah you know i think it begins with birth i think our very first experiences um, as newborns, our experience with both uh, when, we're, when we're growing up, what we experience is loving and unloving behaviors that we're having. You know, the first, how our mother or our father, our caregiver, what we learned from them, what, how we experience them. I think that's where it starts. That becomes the template that gets hardwired into us. And um, it, another way of thinking about it is when we're young, we when we're pre-verbal, we signal, you know, when a baby will cry, um, that's a signaling action or behavior. And from those earliest signals, how that, that primary caregiver responds to the signal begins to already lay the groundwork for um, our relationship readiness, in a sense, because it's starting there. We learn that if we signal and we, and our primary caregiver gives us a pretty satisfactory response that gives the message to the child that when I signal, I get responded to. And that's a good thing. I'm going to signal and I'm going to get my needs met. However, if the signal is not met with a response that is attuned or it takes too long for the caregiver to respond, the child begins to get the message that signaling is kind of complicated. And they may even ultimately create some ways inside of them as they grow up where they start to take care of some of these, these things themselves. In some families, children learn that signaling, um, when they signal that there can even be a consequence from the primary caregiver. Something like, you know, you're such a burden, you're such a pain. Why did you signal? So all of these experiences can impact how a person is, how a partner will show up in a relationship. And um, I think that's where it begins. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's very, very early on and difficult to control. Yeah. However, yeah. I want to have a hopeful point here. Even if you did not receive, um, if you grew up in an environment where it was complicated and the signal response consequence sequence that I just spoke about wasn't really fair and sensitive and attuned to you, the child. You still can form a relationship in life that is secure. You can learn how to have healthy responses. You can learn how to signal in a way that is heard and so you'll be seen. So it's really, there's, there's always hope here. Mm, mm. Yeah, I think that's a great way of looking at it and definitely something that we're going to talk about um, in a bit as well. Um, One question, another question I have is, how do we know if we are ready for a relationship? Are there like quizzes available? Is there a test? (laughs) Like, how do we how do we go about figuring that out? You know, it's really funny. I, I love the question. So I went online and there are quizzes. There's lots of quizzes. There's all kinds of tests. Um, and, and the questions are actually pretty cool. Um, just, to, you know, here's one. Um, can you take care of yourself? Are you upfront with your own feelings? How do you handle confrontations? I thought they were wonderful. Uh, what, what I really think, though, is, and you may not be surprised by this answer, is you actually will know if you're ready by getting in there and experiencing it yourself. Take the leap of faith and try it. You're going to get some information early on about yourself and the person that you're engaging with. And you're either going to want to move forward or not, but you will learn something. Mm -hmm. Um, So, but the quizzes are great. I love that. But there's no teacher. There's no teacher like experience, I suppose. There's no teacher like experience. There, there's another um, idea I did have on the, with regard to this question is um, think about people in your life in relationships where you admire how the couple does it, that you like to be around them and kind of paying attention to what you see. It can really help inform you as to what you might like as well. So if you're finding that you have couples in your life and you really like what you see, um, 
considered that it's time for you to go and create something all your own that has some of those components in it. Yeah, that's a pretty good one um, that I haven't heard before. Is is it safe to say that you should be looking at real life couples and not the stuff you see in movies or read about <laughs> in books? <laughs> yes. I mean, I... I'm like everybody else. I love um, to see what see the couples in movies, and it, it's so it's so seductive and and it's wonderful. But yes, the real life mentor couples that, that they've been referred to, a couple where you really can see that this couple has created something that is um, they're 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 a substantial couple. They make each other better. They're growing up together. They're a bright light in the world. Um, you know. We're attracted to couples like that. Uh, we're drawn to them, and if you if you have the the ability and to spend time with couples like that, do it. Um, on the flip side, we all know about the couples where when we're with them, you don't get that feeling. You may get that little feeling in your stomach, like "Ooh, that didn't seem to go so well," or and, and pay attention to that as well. Because that is a sign of a relationship that isn't secure. And everyone around a couple like that will have an awareness of that. And I feel like noticing those things kind of in part contributes to that preparedness um, that kind of ties into being ready as well. Just knowing what you do like and what you don't like. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. How can we tell if a potential partner or even the a current partner is ready for a relationship? Is there a so, way to tell? Um, I think there are ways that, to consider. Um, how, how when, when the relationship is just kind of starting, um, I'd be paying attention to, back to that word willingness, how willing are they to create time and energy um, to, to plan get-togethers, or how available are they? Um, how willing are they to share conversations that seem to be fair, that consider the two of you, not just one of you? And um, how well do they do with, once things are getting started, how is contact maintained? How does that process go? That That's a true signal and response between two people when they're first getting to know one another. And in my experience, couples who don't do very well together, um, you know, once they're coming into couple therapy, they're struggling. Many times I will find out that the very beginning sequence of how things went when they first were getting started was also, there were also problems there. It wasn't a fair signal response. The contact wasn't being maintained in a way that worked for at least one of the partners. So it's interesting to think of it that way. I would like to say that I like to, um, I encourage people to pay attention to how a potential partner uh, manages being under pressure. You know, what do you notice? How does this person handle a very stressful moment? Because that can tell a lot. Um, and how are you in the presence of your partner in a moment like that? And um, I think something that doesn't get discussed enough is, it's rather old-fashioned, I think, in the thinking, but do not be hesitant to introduce new partners to trusted friends and even family. Sometimes people wait too long to bring a new partner into their inner circle, when in reality, your inner circle, they know you, they love you, and they have the ability to see some things that perhaps you may not be able to see. So. I think it's really important to vet potential partners and you'll be able to hear from your inner circle what they think in terms of your partner's readiness, what they yeah, see. Yeah, for sure. For sure. I think like, especially in, I guess, that honeymoon phase of the relationship, we tend to look at our partner with like rose tinted <sighs> lenses and it, you need that outside perspective to kind of get you back in reality for a little bit. That is so true because that really does happen. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Um, I guess that partially answers my next question, which is how do we deal with the relationship if either ourselves or our partner, um, that either ourselves or our partner are not actually ready to be in? So if either 
you or your partner are not really ready to be in this relationship, um, this is not going to move forward. <laughs> uh, it, it's going to come out pretty clearly because in a situation like that, the way you just described it, there may be one person who wants to be in the relationship and is looking for a future here and just getting some kind of regular sign from the other partner that they're not all in. There's nothing here to build on. This truly is what's called a structural problem because you cannot build a foundation where one person is two feet in and one person only has one foot in. It's There's nothing to build on. So, um, you know, personally, I think it's better when this gets resolved sooner rather than later. Sometimes couples go on too long, I believe, in a situation where one is in and one is out and they lose precious time because, and, and, and no one has ever been successful, at least not in my experience, um, anecdotally, to have an unwilling partner and then get them to totally turn it around and that they suddenly were, you cannot um, kind of pull someone into a relationship. At least that's not mm -hmm. been my experience. Um, if someone really is just not wanting to do it. Yeah. 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 For sure. Work. What about if you yourself, like maybe you want the relationship, but you don't feel like perhaps, you know, that self-regulation, for example, might, might be in place, or you're not sure that the self-regulation is in place, or yeah. maybe you've just got other kind of things that might be holding you back from a relationship that you do want and a person that you do want to be with. Is there a way to work on that? Well, you know, all of those concerns that you raise, they're legitimate. And people, mm -hmm. those are real things that people worry about. My sense is that um, you have to, once again, be in the relationship. I think you need to then be working with your partner on all of those things. And talking and figuring it out and understanding what you're really doing together. What are you calling this thing? What's, what, what are you both envisioning? And how is it meeting the needs of both partners? If, you're, if you have other interests or you don't have the time or the availability, I think that has to be made explicit. Um, too often people don't do that and it, and it goes on and becomes a bigger issue. So that's my take on that. Yeah. Yeah. I do like that. I like both those bits of advice. I think like one, you know, giving yourself the chance, but also on the other instant, if your partner is ready, maybe just break up with them. That might be a good idea. <laughs> it, sometimes it will be. And, yeah. and go find someone who really wants to do this because it's complicated enough. Once you have two willing partners, you have enough challenges to figure each other out and to set up a life together that works for both of you. It can be great, but there's also work involved. You do need that willingness. Yeah. 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 yeah that's a great way of putting it. Um, can you, do you have any practices in mind um, that you would recommend for people to kind of help improve their relationship readiness and, and pursue a relationship? I, something I've been thinking about, Aditi, was um, th this is, there's some things I'm going to talk about now that when I'm working with couples um, early on in a relationship, some have already married in some cases, it will become clear to me that they had not considered some of these things. So I'd like to share those with you, if I may, um, and see what you think of my list here. Really, if you have a fundamental difference in lifestyle choice, the way you want to live your life compared with the way your partner does, it's kind of a big deal. So if you're thinking about um, wanting to work on yourself a bit before you engage in a relationship, that's something to consider. Imagine the lifestyle that you want to lead. Have you given significant thought to whether you want to have children? Um, it, it ends up being a rather big ticket item in a relationship where if partners have not done their own self-appraisal or self-inquiry process and arrive in a relationship and get quite serious and one doesn't want children and one does, 
that can be quite a heartbreak. So consider where you are to the best of your ability on whether you want to have children. Um, are you interested in monogamy or not? This is something else to really be considering. And, and once again, talk to a lot of people, spend time with all sorts of couples to see what you really like or believe you would like. Um, consider what kind of a social life you envision having. having. Are you someone who really is social and therefore the partner you, you're with will likely have to also be pretty social if that's the life you see yourself having? Right, so picking someone who doesn't like to be around other people too often, that may be very hard. So consider this, what, where does your career fit into your life? Um, what about substance use? You know, uh, is, it, is it something you do? Do you, do you, do you not wanna have a partner who, who engages in that? Um, where are you on the topic of religion? Have you considered where you wanna live? Uh, are you open to leaving the country? Do you want to move to another part of the world? Do you need to? Do you want to live next to your mother? All of these things matter, and they ca can cause issues in a relationship if they haven't been considered. And a um, couple of couple more to talk about whether you actually do want to marry. That's a big one. Some people want to. Some people don't. Uh, and and you know, uh, how much affection do you want to have? Do you think that being having physical touch is important? If you meet someone who really, that's a struggle, well, that's going to be something you're going to have to really work on for your whole marriage. So this is just a, a list that I came up with of some things to consider before you jump in. I don't, I would never say that you have to, you know, do a deep inquiry process into all of these things before being ready for a relationship but I don't think you would be wasting your time to be considering some of these things. Mm, mm. I think that's really, I mean, a lot of those, a lot of those questions on the list are kind of a no brainer, like, you know, um, you know, religion and comfort with that, you know, do you want marriage? Do you want kids? I feel like a lot of people ask that naturally, especially when they're looking for long-term relationships, but the physical affection one, I never really considered that as something to like think about consciously before you enter a relationship. Uh, but it makes so much sense to, yeah. to actually ask that because people have very different levels of comfort around that. They really do. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess knowing it yourself, even if you're not, you know, as you said, interrogating your partner about it or having a deep inquiry process, at least knowing what you want for yourself will help you communicate um, yes, when the need arises. Yeah, mm -hmm. for sure. Now I will move on to our practice slash habit experiment debrief, uh, where we talk a little bit about trying to put everything we've learned into practice. So aside from the questions <laughs> that you just listed, do you have um, a practice that you do perhaps in your personal life or that you've recommended to clients um, to help improve uh, your relationship readiness? Yes. Yeah, so I'm, I'm a big fan of journaling. Uh, this is a, a form of journaling, and this is a Nikon journaling exercise, which um, Nikon is, is Japanese for introspection. So it's really a structured method of self-reflection that you can just do with your, open up your journal, and there's three questions that you consider on a daily basis. What did I receive from others today? What did I give to others and what difficulties did I cause others? And, you know, when I first was introduced to this method, the first thing I thought about was, where's number four? What difficulties did others cause me? Because that, that's natural tendency to think that. But that has been omitted, you know, deliberately. And I think that's a very um, important part of this exercise because it really does put the focus on... Um, how challenging we ourselves can be in a relationship and our own ownership of that and the difficulties we can cause our partner. To start to have that mindset along with um, all that we do receive every day in our interactions and in our relationships, to be deliberate and intentional in considering all that we get um, along with what we're giving. This is a certain way of creating um, emphasis, putting attention on things that ultimately become very important 
in a relationship. So I think this exercise um, is good for someone who's thinking about getting into a relationship and it's wonderful for couples. Okay. Okay. When you're kind of in a relationship, how do you go about doing this exercise? Do you do it with your partner? Do you sit down and talk about it together or do you do it individually? I, I, it's done individually, although I have worked with couples who really come to like the practice and then like to set some time together to share what they came up with. So I really like to support the couple to determine, um, you know, how it's going to work for them. But I do believe the initial self, it is a self-reflection. So it, some part of it has to be done on your own, but the sharing of it, I, I think is actually excellent. And I've seen couples do really well with the sharing. Mm-hmm, for sure. I do. I do like that you're kind of letting the couple guide it based on yeah. what's comfortable for them. Cause sometimes you, pushing them, pushing a couple out of their comfort zone can definitely help in some situations, but not always, especially when you no. kind of just want them to yeah, and interesting. Yeah, that's a really good point. Yeah. yeah. What are three good things about this practice? Three good things about this practice is it cultivates a. Um, so here, here's what I'm going to go back one step. Our brain is quite negativistic, so as a result, it's we it's very helpful for us to have practices and things that we engage in daily that allow us to move into more of a positive mindset and a gratitude, some type of a gratitude practice, like thinking about what did I receive, really helps balance out the the brain's natural negativity bias. So I think that's a very, one really good thing about it. Um, The part about, you know, how I cause, cause difficulty for others, this is, also, I believe a very important um, relationship trait, a strength attribute in that if you're going to be successful in a relationship, you have to have a willingness to have a thorough self-appraisal process. Uh, Some people call it a self-confrontation process. I kind of like self-appraisal to really consider your role in, in whatever goes wrong. Also your role in what goes right, but but your role in when things good are difficult for your partner, um, that there's a real maturity in that. And I believe we develop and become better people when we can engage in a practice. It can be a compassionate practice. It's not about um, being harsh with yourself. It's being open and being in reality. So that, um, and then lastly, um, you know, I believe that giving to others is if you if you don't have that in you and some people don't have it fully developed in them it, it's it's a challenge to be in a relationship if you cannot develop that more so being in a practice like this gives you an opportunity to maybe grow this part of yourself because you will need it in a long-term relationship you're going to be mm-hmm. giving yeah mm-hmm. if you want to do yeah. it well all, I guess, really important questions to help facilitate uh, your relationship with another person. Um, and, and again, that teamwork aspect that oh. we were talking about at the start. Yeah. What, what are the challenges when you do this practice? Because off the top of my head, I just, when, when you were mentioning, you know, the maturity and self-appraisal, I was thinking as someone who is prone to self-deprecation and self-blaming, sometimes I might do that a little too much. And I assume you've come across couples where one person is definitely doing a lot more self-blaming and someone is not doing enough of it. Yeah. Is that that something? Yeah, that really is something. And um, I think you have to just be very aware of that, pay attention to it and manage that because then, then this would not be a helpful practice right? Mm-hmm. This is this mm-hmm. practice is really about also learning about oneself as well as having an opportunity to have a fresh start, to have new opportunities and new possibilities. And so it's a very growth-oriented practice. What you were describing could really be a problem for someone if they went in that direction. That, that would not be, that would be harmful. 
So I'm, right. I think it's, I think you're right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. How, how often um, do you practice it? Is there a certain time of day to do it? How do you go about it practical, on a practical so, level? So on a practical level, um, then I will just speak about my own journaling exercise and I incorporate Nikon into my journaling exercise my daily journaling, but it may not be a daily thing because I've been journaling for a while now. But I do have a daily journaling exercise or a practice, I should say. And that is um, based on the work of Julia Cameron, who wrote The Artist Way. And she recommends morning pages, which is truly just to sit down when you wake up with your spiral notepad and really do a true stream of consciousness. So um, it's a great practice. It helps get clarity of your own thinking. And I will also will then at times use the Nikon prompts for what I'm writing in my morning pages. But it's also a springboard to work with my partner with things that came up in the morning pages to develop further. So you're taking a lot of what's in our outside of our conscious awareness and putting it on paper and getting clarity and then taking it into your conversation. So a daily practice is is optimal if you can do it. Yeah. And then the morning pages, I guess, starting that off fresh and in the morning, that's a common journaling practice anyway. So if you're already yeah. doing that, it's not too hard to kind of add it one, tack it onto the end of it or at the beginning or in the middle. Where and I've, I've come, yes, I'm sorry to interrupt. I've come to depend on it, that, you know, it really does, um, so many things come out of it that perhaps would have been lost. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. For sure, for sure. How, how do you feel this practice would impact your romantic relationship? Well, it, it has, um, because there have been things that have emerged that I, as I've said, like I've been really able to go another step with my husband based on the thinking and the ideas that emerged. There've been, there've been new ideas that came out of morning pages that would not have come out. So creative ideas on a different way for us to solve a problem. Um, A new approach to parenting has, has come out of that, you know, a way to, to work with one of our kids Uh, that, so and then just in terms of, you know, you're talking about a romantic relationship, I'm speaking about my marriage. Um, any way you can gain clarity on who you are and what you want, your partner will benefit. Your mm. partner will benefit from that. For sure, and for sure. vice versa, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Do you, are you comfortable giving an example of, of how it's worked for you? Something oh, that goodness. has Let me think off the top into- of, well, um, I will, uh, you know, I mentioned our daughter was traveling uh, abroad and it's very easy in today's world to, um, it's hard enough when communication is complicated enough when we're in real time, but with time differences and electronic communication, there was a little breakdown and a bit of an injury for my daughter. And um, in the sense that she didn't feel that we had handled something as parents well with her. And she was right. And by engaging in my journaling practice, and we were quite upset, my husband and I, and I had done my morning pages. And then we, when it all was there in paper, uh, you know, then we're having coffee and we're able to talk about it. We came up with a plan together for how we were going to reach out to her. And so so many of the components of that plan really were in the morning pages. My husband had some ideas to throw in, of course, but I don't believe we would have been, and, and by the way, that we did go another step with her and we, we were able to make great progress and ultimately everything got resolved, but it did start with that practice. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I love that. I'm, and I'm so glad that it, it you know, ended up working out. I'm, I'm assuming really she's like, in you know under 21 ish it's a weird time for for a lot of kids at that age um based on your experience do you have any other kind of recommendations of a practice or a habit that you would combine with the nikon pages so i will say that um 
I, I believe in meditation. And there's also, I'd like to bring this into partnership, which is couples do not and don't take enough time to really kind of sit together face to face, eye to eye, and allow each other just to, you know, co-regulate, which is the two nervous systems getting in sync. We're wired for that. It's a, it's a very efficient way for two people to relax and, um, you know, the cadence that develops back and forth is, is, can be really a beautiful thing. It's like making music and it, it really reduces the wear and tear on your own nervous system to have to regulate yourself. It's a very effective way to regulate, to do it with another person. However, you need to actually have something set up in your life. And so many couples don't have this. They don't take the time. And I think as a society, we don't, we don't um, talk enough about the importance of this, is having a place in your house where you can come together that you both like to be comfortable, where you can be in close proximity, where you can actually be close enough to see if your partner's eyes are um, relaxed, if their um, pupil is dilated or constricted, that you could actually see that. And you could even maybe see, track your partner's breathing and just have what I call a low demand or no demand conversation. This is not the time for um, a to-do list or, you know, let's figure out wh what we're going to do this afternoon, the chores we have to do. That's, it's not that. It's just kind of a chance to be. And, and there is a meditative aspect to it if you begin to use your partner a bit as your external object of meditation. So you're really tracking them, you're looking at them, and you're relaxing simultaneously. So if both people do this at the same time, it's quite a lovely way to connect. And it generally doesn't happen enough in, in relationship. So I believe that's a practice that um, everybody could benefit from. Yeah, for sure. I feel like often we don't have the time to sit down and do that with anyone, let alone, you know, even a romantic partner that we're living with. I think You're people right. feel like they're too busy or they've too packed and got too many things to do to kind of take the time to just do that. Um, but that's a great way of putting it. Yeah. Thank mm. you for sharing. Um, that kind of brings us to the end of that 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 segment. We do have a couple of questions from our audience. Are you happy to answer them? I'll do my best. <laughs> Fantastic. Um, I, first question sent in is, is relationship readiness, is it the same as marriage readiness? Can they be compared? Hmm. I think they're different. Um, yeah. Relationship readiness, um, I think there's, mu there's more that back to the willingness and being prepared. Um, if you're willing you're prepared enough. Give it a try. Unless there are those situations we talked about earlier, there's a few situations where just proceed with, you know, with caution. But for everyone else, you have to jump in the pool and you have to experience it and you're going to learn from it. So, but marriage readiness, that's different. And I would say, and I didn't get an opportunity to mention it today, and I want to, I want to actually thank my husband for this because when I was talking a little bit about this morning about these questions with him, he, he brought up something that was so obvious to me, the marriage counselor. He said, well, of course you're going to talk about um, the importance of premarital couples work. And I was like, uh, I hadn't considered that, but it is, and he was like, Allison, really? I had such a blind spot. It is so important. I love it when I have couples come to me before they have married and we're able to do all of this, you know, take a deep dive into all the things that they might have been thinking about but afraid to talk about. We go there and they have support. So um, marriage readiness, I think I recommend premarital counseling for that one. Yeah, for yeah. sure. I, I, I think that's a really, I think that's a really interesting way of putting it as a lot of, a lot of people have been married for a few years by the time they think they need to go to couples therapy, I think, because it's a legal arrangement that can be quite complicated to get out of. And sometimes they have families and dependents that are in the mix that make things a lot more complicated, but you can still have dependents before you get married, but it, it is, it, there's not as much of the additional weight of 
systemic and legal weight that kind of makes the separation all that more difficult if a separation needs to happen. Right. Yeah. Yes. Um, second question um, is, how do you know if you're just going through a rough patch in your relationship or if it does actually need to end? Oof. Um, hmm. I'm assuming that's not an patch, easy answer. That's an, a rough patch or have we reached the end of the road? Mm. Um, I would certainly want to see a couple like this because a rough patch uh, upon closer inspection may actually reveal some challenges that this couple have had prior to the rough patch. There may be more to the story. There's no question that there are chapters in life, in relationship, that can be more difficult, more challenging than others. However, if you have a secure relationship, you still can manage, we call it, you're able to um, be weight bearing. The relationship can really carry a lot of weight. You know, uh, we saw this through the pandemic. Couples who were secure, yes, it was hard, but it didn't break them up. But if you didn't, if you were already, for the couples who could not get through it, and I don't want to generalize, but there, but in some instances, it wasn't the pandemic, it was other things that had not yet really been looked at. So um, rough patch has to be further explored. And many couples can learn skills and different ways of operating together to turn that rough patch around and get to more stable ground and learn from the rough patch. So there's a lot of hopefulness when someone comes to therapy in a, with a rough patch, yeah, if they're really yeah. motivated and they want to get out of it. Um, if a marriage is over, if, if two, two partners come into therapy and there's a question of can this relationship move forward, that has to be very carefully explored. Um, there, you know, both have to check with both partners whether one or both want to end that relationship, um, how serious that is. And you really have to go a number of rounds to be sure that that's the case. Um, I, think, I think it is a tough question, an important yeah. one though. For sure, for sure. I feel like that encompasses so many different aspects of, of like relationship problems in general beyond just relationship readiness. Uh, final question is one we've already discussed a little bit, uh, but I do like the way this is worded. How do you know if you're ready for another relationship or if you're just trying to fill a void? Mm. How do you know if you're ready for another relationship or just trying to fill a void? So I'm presuming the way that question is asked, it's kind of suggests that there was a previous relationship mm -hmm. that has ended. Yes. It and does seem that's like that. how it does seem that way. And um, there can be a real void after that relationship has ended. Um, maybe it's the void is really evidence, it can be evidence that this may be someone who really likes to be in a relationship. And the, and the void is a sign that they look forward to sharing their life with someone again, because even my guess is there might've been some problems with the relationship that ended, maybe, but there were parts of it that likely felt good. So I would be inclined to say that before too long, this individual might consider trying again and seeing what happens because the void may be that they really like to be in relationship. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's an interesting way of putting it. I was just thinking, I guess my follow-up question to this is it made me think of what you said earlier about how being unprepared for a relationship or a lack of relationship readiness isn't necessarily a bad thing and it's not the be all or end all of a relationship at least from the prospect of you know a lack of preparedness it could it just be that this kind of 
want or desire to be in a relationship is equally neutral in its own way. Like perhaps it might not be good for that person. Maybe they do need to be by themselves, but the void is just kind of a sign that they want to be in another one. It's, it's not yeah. here or there. It's not here or there where there'd be so much to suss out from that and more to learn. Um, mm -hmm. But, you know, this, the, the word void itself, um, if there's an emptiness inside, the, there's a notion again that uh, you have to fill that yourself. Someone else can't fill that for you, right? I mean, I certainly have heard things like that and that, that people will say that that's a really, that's a wrong way to think about it. And, and I understand that, but I continue to think we're missing the point that we are meant to pair bond. We have been wired for relationship from you know, the beginning of time as human beings. And um, that being alone, while certainly a choice, and it, it's an important one for so many people if you want that, that there's so, many, so much good evidence to show that being in relationship is a great way to develop yourself individually. I want to say one thing about that, that couples who really do relationship well, that they come up with a way of setting up their life so that they support each other, they enjoy each other, and they're each other's champions. What we expect to see is that individually, they will go as far as they are meant to go. So a solid relationship is a beautiful springboard, and I've seen it. I've seen it in my own life. I've seen it in my practice. It's a beautiful springboard for true self-development. The key is a secure relationship. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I love that. I, I feel like that's a very, very optimistic answer to this question. And, and, and I do, I do appreciate it. And I'm sure the person who sent it in will appreciate it um, as well. But that's all, I guess, for our audience questions. Thank you very much for answering them. Um, we do have our open mic now in which I allow you to speak about anything you want for a few minutes. Uh, did you have something, did you have something in mind that you wanted to talk about? I, I guess I'll just speak a bit about, um, that there's such a leap of faith, you know, how do we do it? How do we actually say, I'm going to put myself out there, jump into a relationship, um, go those steps to form a secure relationship when we all have to live with this denial, uh, with that tomorrow anything could happen and that relationship could end. That existential reality here that we nobody knows what tomorrow will bring. And in some ways, um, I think it requires so much courage to be willing to take that chance uh, in all relationships, to put yourself out there, to be vulnerable, and uh, knowing that you know it's a fragile and precious thing in many ways when we think about it. We can't think about that too much or we wouldn't do it, but it is there somewhere, always in our peripheral, the idea that this could happen. So it's, it's courageous, but when you do it, um, the things that, the ways you can learn about yourself, um, the ways that two partners can find out that it's through problem solving, it's through having the most challenging problems in front of them and being able to come up with some type of solution that works for both of them, that does a lot for both partners' self-esteem. And another thing about um, the errors that we make in relationship, if you do it well, partners can really go on to learn and create better outcomes. So it's through all of the bad moments with my in-laws or your in-laws or the when we were at dinner with friends and things didn't go well, the couples who can take that material and talk about it and consider how they want to do better next time, how they want to work together next time so that when the, the day is over, they feel like they're friends and they don't turn against each other. That's, that's what it's about. It's about making each bad moment a learning opportunity and committing to becoming better people. So I, I just think I, I applaud all the people who every day are getting in relationships. And I also want to um, note those who get out of relationships, that can be such an act of love as well. Because not mm -hmm. all partners are meant to be together. And it takes tremendous 
um, courage once again to end a relationship and it can be deeply painful but some relationships are better off ending the couple will go on to have something they never even imagined and I hear that too in my practice when I get to meet couples who are in second marriages or third marriages and they will say thank goodness that we found a better match that that has to be said out loud so there's so much courage in this relationship game and there is just so much to gain. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I guess <laughs> when you were talking about existential crisis, I think I think that's really applicable, especially to maybe some younger members of our audience for millennials or, or Gen Z who are probably dealing with a lot of different kinds of existential um, yes. issues beyond just, you know, relationships and what's going to happen to that. Um, so... I guess that's really important advice to keep in mind um, for those people um, to not maybe stress about um, all of those things on top of, I don't know, climate change. Oh my goodness. <laughs> Potential nuclear war. <laughs> yeah. It's a lot. Sure. It yes. is so much. It is so much. It is um, so much. Thank you so much uh, for joining us, for sharing all of your insights with us. Where can um, members of our audience find you? I would say alisonhowlmhc.com is the best way. And uh, it's just been a pleasure for me to have this conversation with you. Yeah, I've, I've really enjoyed talking to you. I think you've brought a perspective that I haven't heard from a lot of my guests so far. So it's it's been such a pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you. You've been listening to Reliscope, the Relationship Science Insights podcast produced by LMSL, the Life Management Science Lab. For more episodes like this from 10 different life management perspectives, search LMSL on YouTube, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify, or wherever you find your podcasts, so you can get updated on everything we have to offer. We have a wide range of topics readily available for you to check out. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider rating our show, sharing it, and subscribing to our channel as it helps us grow and bring you more quality resources. More of our work can be found at re.lmsl.net, where you can join our movement. I'm Aditi Kuti. Thanks for tuning in.